Hello and welcome to Inside Man. This is Angus King and today we're going to be talking about veterans issues homelessness, and what's going on with the veterans community here in Maine. My first guest is Ryan Lilly, an old friend who used to be the chief up at Togus and is now the regional head of what's called VISN, which is the regional organization of the Veterans Administration based in Boston. But I see Ryan in Maine quite a bit, so I think he still has Maine in his heart. Ryan, uh, welcome to the program. I think i at first like to start with our visit with Dennis McDonough, the Secretary of the Veterans Administration, who was in Maine for a couple of days about a month ago. I'm afraid he may never come back. I think we overworked him, Ryan. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we definitely kept him busy for those two days, didn't we, Senator? Yeah, it was was an intense period, but it was really great because he was able to see the new uh, CBOC. Uh, CBOC is a community-based outreach, uh, outpatient clinic. We've got a brand new one in Rumford, which is really uh, fantastic. That's where we started, back up to Augusta, to uh, to Togus, and then we also uh, visited Maine Veterans Home and the new CBOC down in Portland. So uh, really covered a lot of territory. I think, Ryan, where I want to talk, uh, start talking is the PACT Act, which is the law that passed Congress about a year ago that provided support, medical care, and, and resources to veterans exposed to toxic exposure, mostly from burn pits going back uh, into the 90s, but also including the Vietnam era. Give me a little uh, background on the PACT Act, and then we can talk about who's qualified and how that process is going. Sure. Yeah. So first, uh, it's a, it's really a wonderful piece of legislation that was passed with uh, bipartisan support. And uh, like you said, it opened the door for many veterans that were exposed to toxic exposures. Uh, The burn pits had, I guess, the most headlines. So it was really directly in response to uh, more recent veterans coming back, in particular from Iraq and Afghanistan, that were exposed to toxins in burn pits. And burn pits are a very uh, generic term, but a lot of military debris is burned when uh, folks are downrange. And uh, we know now that some of that uh, activity produced toxins that went into the air and unfortunately into the lungs and uh, bodies of many veterans. So we were seeing, frankly, a lot of veterans coming back with uh, a whole range of health conditions. And, you know, I'm really proud of the fact, frankly, that unlike uh, after Vietnam, which took many, many years for benefits to be established with connection to Agent Orange, this was much, much faster that the entire federal government and, you know, Congress and the administration reacted quickly to what we were seeing on the ground with veterans having these exposures and having health conditions because of them. And uh, so now those benefits are linked. Any veteran that thinks they had a toxic exposure can file a claim with VBA, which would uh, potentially entitle them to financial compensation. But on the healthcare side, which is what I'm responsible for, it really opens the door for them to get into care or to uh, get more care for those veterans that are already receiving care. So we're seeing both uh, in the last year. The PACT Act was passed last August of 2022. And so it's been in in effect for just over a year now. And we're seeing, uh, you know, an uptick in both new veterans coming to the VA and getting health care for the first time, as well as veterans already in the system being screened for toxic exposures. We're up to around 4 million or so veterans screened nationally, which is really an impressive amount of work in the first year of the PACT Act. And that's a very simple screening that we can do at any uh, primary care visit for a veteran when they come in and ask them a series of questions about exposures. And if they had any, then we'll, uh, we sort of refer them to the next step in the process. 
I well, I, I, I can remember years ago when the complaint about veterans health care was not so much the care itself, but access to it, getting through the door. Yep. And that seems to have been alleviated. And my sense is that the VA has really gone to strong measures to be sure people can apply and that these applications can be processed. I think I remember a, a hearing at the Veterans Committee where You've hired something like 5,000 people to help process these claims. Maybe it's even more. Fill me in on, on, on the all-hands-on-deck uh, implementation of the PACT Act. Yeah, you're absolutely right. First, that uh, historically, that was absolutely a, a, a complaint that veterans had, that they always enjoyed their VA care and the quality of that care, but sometimes were frustrated they had to either wait a long time to get in or uh, wait a long time between appointments. So, so we've largely alleviated that. It's still especially in a state like Maine, where, you know, healthcare access can be challenging in rural areas for everybody, not just veterans. It's uh, it's one of those things we never quite declare victory on and say we've solved this. So it's always a, an evolving challenge. But, but yes, in particular, we've definitely staffed up on both the benefits side to process their claims, as well as on the healthcare side to provide healthcare to veterans as a result of the PACT Act, as a result of that increased demand. Okay, if there's a veteran somewhere in Maine who's listening to us, he or she feels that they were exposed to toxins uh, as part of their service, but they haven't filed a claim, what do they do? Who do they call? Yep, they can call us directly. So, the, you know, the main line in uh, in Maine is 207-623-8411, or they can go online, www.va.gov, and uh, it's very intuitive. It's right on, the, right on our homepage to file a claim for PACT and, and learn more about the PACT Act. If you go va.gov slash PACT, then you can go right to the PACT homepage and learn all about it, including you can file a claim online as well. And we've had thousands of, of applications in Maine. I think we've already had something like 10,000 screenings and two or 3,000 have been approved. Correct. Yep. We're up to almost 20,000 screenings. So uh, we're, we're doing great work there. Well, talk to me about Beyond the PACT Act, talk to me about the the VA health system generally and what the trends are. I have to say that these two CBOX that I've been at, I've been at Rumford twice now and and uh, Portland twice in the last several months, are really incredible facilities. They're they're outpatient facilities, but they sort of feel like many hospitals. I mean, they have great volunteers. An old friend of mine, when I was down there with the secretary, an old friend of mine from state government was a volunteer greeter at the desk. But those facilities, it seems to me, must be having a significant impact on your ability to serve veterans closer to where they live. No doubt about it. Yeah, so so our system is, is comprehensive. We provide the full range of healthcare services from outpatient care to inpatient care to long-term care, home care. So, uh, you know, one of our major strategies over the last 10 to 15 years has been to open more points of care and make those points of care larger so that we can offer more, a broader range of services to veterans closer to where they live. So you mentioned Rumford and Portland, two great examples, especially Portland, where we have so many more services available in Portland now than we ever had before historically. Veterans drove mainly to Togus for those services, things like audiology, optometry, a lot of our surgical specialty clinics and, and medical specialty clinics. Veterans historically drove, back when I was the facility director at Togus, a lot of those veterans had to drive to Togus for that. And now they can go to Portland, much more convenient for those veterans that live you know, within a short drive of Portland. 
And that's really this, the story all across New England is more and better sites of care. One of our major challenges uh, for your listeners that have been to the Togus campus, which happens to be the oldest in the, in the VA healthcare system, you know, opened back in 1866. Fortunately, no buildings that old, but we do have a lot of buildings that are still 1920s, 1930s, 1940s and 50s vintage in Maine and across New England and across the country, frankly. So our infrastructure is challenged. And one of our solutions is leasing more space in more areas. And, and you know, we can do that faster than we can build new buildings. And we can also be a little more agile in locating those services and those buildings where veterans live. Well, these these CBOX, and, and we we mentioned Rumford and Portland, but we've got Caribou, Bangor, yep. they're out there. They can take some of the load off of Togas. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Now, Tell me about the veteran population. The the Vietnam veteran, the, the World War II veterans are largely gone, sadly. And we're talking Korea and Vietnam veterans, but they're they're aging. So the next issue, other than health care, is uh, long term care. The, and and where, where how do you how do we uh, how do we address that because that's coming at us in a big way. Yeah, big time. Yeah, the overall trend in the veterans population in Maine is downward. So there will be fewer veterans 20 years from now than there are now. That's largely a product of uh, Vietnam veterans, uh, Korean War veterans, World War II veterans. As they age out of the population, there's fewer veterans behind them. So that's largely a good thing in many ways that our more recent conflicts like Iraq and Afghanistan, there have been fewer total veterans that have served in those conflicts and been in harm's way because of that. But it presents a challenge for the system as the, as the overall numbers shrink. We know there's a bubble of care needed over this next 20 to 30 years, in particular for Vietnam and Vietnam-era veterans, as they'll need long-term care, long-term care-like service. So, you know, it's sort of a, a split on the strategy. One is to make more beds available, so ha- open more long-term care beds, both within the VA system and the state veterans' home system and in the private system. But also more and more in-home services, which is what most veterans really prefer. Everybody wants to stay in their home as long as possible. And we can do more things in the home than we ever could. So we can keep veterans in their homes longer than, than historically we could by putting more care into the home. So home health aides, home care services, even in-home physician services, and then connecting with technology, so telehealth services, uh, that allows us to let veterans age in place as long as they can and, and actually hopefully avoid the need to ever go into a nursing home if that's an option. Well, I think that's really important. As you recall, we had a long-term care roundtable with Secretary McDonough at, up in Augusta at, at the Maine Veterans Home. And I think that was the consensus that we, they were mostly uh, senior veterans who were there. And uh, they said exactly what you did. You know, we'd rather stay at home. Uh, as long as possible. And by the way, that's also better for the taxpayers. It's uh, less expensive uh, to provide home care than uh, than care in a veteran's home or in an institution. So that's, I think, uh, I think that's definitely something. And, and the question is whether that's going to take additional legislation or simply orientation of the VA. But if it needs legislation, let me know. That's my business. <laughs> I'd be glad to. Yeah, it's mostly in our control, frankly. It's, uh, you know, it's really a workforce issue more than anything, especially in rural areas, is that uh, that segment of the workforce really was particularly hard hit during COVID. So home health 
agencies, a number of those, unfortunately, in Maine went out of business during the pandemic. And so we really need to stabilize that workforce so we can have enough employees in those small well, towns, especially to provide those that, services. Everywhere I go, Ryan, and not only in healthcare or in the VA, workforce is the number one issue. I was up in, in Arista County two weeks ago, and that was all I heard, whether it was uh, farmers or food processors or uh, social service people. In fact, the roundtable that we had with the secretary at the Maine Veterans Home in Augusta was in a wing of the of the facility, which is a fantastic, beautiful facility that was empty, not because there wasn't a demand, there's a waiting list, but because they couldn't find staff. Yep. And that's something, you know, that's a, a general problem in, in Maine and across the country that that we've just got to address. I, I have to tell you, as I travel the state, workforce and housing are the two biggest problems that people want to talk about. Yep, no doubt about it. And are, and are you finding that in the VA? Are you working to, to bring on new people? It, it sounds like you've done pretty well in terms of bringing on people to help with the, uh, the PACT Act. Yes, we have. Yeah, I'll knock on wood here and, and say, generally speaking, we're doing well in recruitment in Maine. Uh, there are some significant exceptions to that. Some of our uh, providers, so our physicians in particular, very difficult to recruit, and especially in the rural areas. So we actually could provide more services in some of our smaller areas or even a large area like Bangor. It's just hard to recruit physicians there. And uh, that's true in the VA and that's true outside of the VA that getting physicians in small towns in particular historically significant challenge. Well, it, it's something we're going to have to be working on, as I say, across the board, whether it's VA physicians or truck drivers or people that work making French fries up in Arista County. It's, uh, it's something that it's a, it's a major challenge uh, nationwide. How did the secretary like his visit to Maine? Did you get any feedback? Did he say, those guys those guys beat me up up there. It was uh, <laughs> the days. The days were too long, and that guy King is a slave driver. I mean, what did he? Not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> all positive. You know, great feedback from the secretary. It's, as as you know, it's it's an honor for us to host our boss, and uh, you know, I think he was particularly impressed that there's great collaboration and, and partnership with all the stakeholders. So the congressional stakeholders, the, the state agencies, the, the nonprofits, we had a number of those during the visit as well. And it's, it's, uh, it's one great thing about working in support of veterans like I do is it crosses party lines. It's very apolitical. Everybody supports veterans and you don't spend a lot of time convincing people of the need of what we're doing here in our mission, which is great. So it just allows us to focus on actually solving problems and not fighting. Well, you use the right word, which is mission, and that's that's so important. And all the people we met at the Sea Box, at the Veterans Home, at at Togus, it was all about mission. And uh, I'm sure you have positions that could probably be making more money in the private sector, but are really really inspired by the mission of serving these people that have done so much service for the country. Yeah, it's a great honor for all of us, frankly, to serve veterans. And and like you say, we don't spend you know too many minutes of our existence trying to convince people of the importance of our mission. They come understanding that, and it's great. It really makes makes our life easy in many ways. Now, let me change the subject for a minute. PTSD is a major issue, yeah. and for a long while, we didn't have a a residential program at at Togus or in in Maine. Bring me up to date on on where that is and and how we're doing on confronting that issue. 
Yep. Where you, so we finally have an approved plan to build a standalone uh, RRTP program, which is essentially a residential type program. So veterans will come for several weeks at a time and do what we call an intensive outpatient program. So it's technically outpatient, but they'll stay that whole two, three, four weeks, depending on which program they're in. And uh, we've we've always had a program like that, but we've kind of pieced it together over the years in Maine and, and used, frankly, space that is not really optimal for that purpose. And so, uh, yeah, we're hoping to award that contract sometime this fall with a short construction window and then uh, open the building, hopefully in around 18 months. It's a little bit optimistic, but that's our hope. And uh, it'll be great. That That's another example of bipartisan support from a number of the main, the entire main delegation supported that project. And it's going to be a great addition to services. So now veterans, we can get some of that work done with technology, but a lot of veterans go out of state for that level of service currently. So it'd be great to be know, close to it. A lot of people think that we can't get anything done in Washington, number one. And number two, the reason for that is that the parties are always fighting with each other. But in in reality, We've gotten a pretty fair amount done in the last couple of years on a bipartisan basis, and a prime example is the PACT Act. That was John Tester, the Democrat of Montana, who was the chair of the committee, and Jerry Moran, Republican of Kansas, who was the co-chair, the, the re- Republican ranking member, and they were steadfast and, and ferocious in getting that bill through. And I think people need to know that there are some issues where we actually can come together and do something, uh, infrastructure is another, and uh, there are several others, but the PACT Act was a prime example of bipartisan work that is really going to make a difference for millions of veterans across the country. Yep, completely agree. Well, listen, uh, Ryan, I appreciate your taking the time, and it's always good to see you uh, back up in Maine uh, whenever you're around. And, and uh, as you know, I'm, I'm I just joined the Veterans Committee, this uh, Veterans Affairs Committee, this this winter. So I know a guy, as they say. Uh, if there's if there's something I can do for you or something that uh, you think there's a gap in the in the legislation or uh, something we can we can work together on, uh, by all means, uh, let me know. And now we're going to take a little break and come back to the second issue that's uh, really a problem in Maine after workforce. And that's housing and with a particular focus on veterans housing. So stay with us on Inside Maine. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Inside Maine. We're talking about Maine veterans today. We just had a good conversation with Ryan Lilly, who's the regional administrator for the Veterans Administration Health Program. We talked about the PACT Act, which is the burn pit law that was passed by Congress uh, almost exactly a year ago, how that's being administered and the importance of that uh, for Maine veterans. We've already had something like 25,000 Maine veterans who have been screened for whether they qualify for benefits, but that's a reasonably small percentage of our veteran population. So we want to be sure that everybody avails themselves of the benefits of that law. One of the issues that's of a real concern, both in Maine and across the country, is homelessness, and particularly uh, homeless veterans. And we have with us Dan Hodgkins from Preble Street in Portland, who's a veterans homeless coordinator and who has really done a lot of work in this area. Dan, thanks for joining us and and give me a sort of snapshot of where we are in terms of homeless veterans homelessness in Maine. 
Sure. Thanks so much for having us, Senator King. Here in Maine today, there are roughly 200 veterans experiencing homelessness. Uh, this is a pretty significant increase to what we've seen before the pandemic. It's about double where we were at before the pandemic happened in, in March of 2020. We have really seen an increase in rental prices. We've seen the supply of housing really dry up and create a lot of competition for the few available units that there are. Um, and a lot of these things together have really just uh, created a, a perfect storm for the increase in, in homelessness that we've seen. Well, and homelessness generally has more than doubled, hasn't it, in, in Maine during this period? Yeah, it's actually uh, tripled. If you look at the PIC count, uh, which is a point in time count that's done every January um, in 2019, we were right around just over 1,100 people in the state of Maine um, experiencing homelessness. Last year's PIC count was up over 3,000, and then the 2023 PIC count was um, over 4,000 people experiencing homelessness. Well, I, I saw a statistic recently that really stunned me that there's not a state or a county in the country where a person making the minimum wage can afford a two-bedroom apartment. No place. Yeah, I can believe that. Maine is a, we have a, a lot of different types of geography from Portland to, you know, rural Machias, but you have seen uh, rental prices and housing prices just increase um, all over the place. We, um, you know, recently saw a one-bedroom apartment uh, for $1,500 in Washington County. Um, and that is just an incredibly um, large amount of money wow. for, for any person to spend on a one-bedroom apartment. Well, of course, one of the problems, and, and we can talk more about this, but one of the problems is inadequate supply. I mean, the one law Congress can't repeal is the law of supply and demand. And according to Avesta Housing, Maine is down something like 20,000 housing units from where we should be to adequately meet the need. So if you have a short supply, rents are going to go up. And, and so we need to tackle the homelessness problem for sure. But we also need to seriously tackle developing more more housing units, period. Yeah, absolutely. We see this as, um, and I, I've uh, spoken with uh, folks in your office and think that you're a big proponent of the idea that there's not a single solution to this problem, but there's a lot of different solutions. And increasing affordable housing is certainly one of the solutions. Um, you know, one of the other things that we have to do is uh, just create awareness about, you know, the homelessness problem. Um, a lot of times we see, you know, stigma making it really hard for people who are experiencing homelessness to get housed. So really trying to help people understand that, you know, a lot of times people end up in homelessness for, it's really a lot of just luck, um, you know, trauma that happens. And if, uh, if we can sort of, you know, work our way through some of the stigma, um, we may find some opportunities to, to house folks. And because there's such a lack of supply for housing. It just means we need to work very efficiently. And that is something that we've really tried to focus on as a veteran system. Uh, there's a lot of groups um, working here in the state to try to end veteran homelessness. And we are working together to kind of put all our resources together and work in a coordinated way to, to try to house as many veterans as we can. Well, one of the things you mentioned, and, and there was, we had a a veterans housing roundtable with the secretary when he was here uh, earlier in the month. 
And one of the things you talked about is partnerships with landlords. Describe that. What does that really mean? Absolutely. So currently we are the main Homeless Veterans Action Committee, which is a group of providers, has started a challenge. Uh, we're calling it the No Homeless Veterans Challenge. And as part of that challenge, we are really looking to build partnerships with landlords. Uh, we have a um, package that we're trying to offer to every landlord that includes um, landlord incentives. Uh, so we have uh, bonus cash bonus payments that we'll pay to any landlord that leases up a veteran for a year of at least $1,000. Uh, we also have access to a basically an insurance policy that will um, pay a landlord up to $1,500 if there's like unpaid rent or damage that goes beyond the security deposit. We also will only refer veterans to landlords who have a financial plan to pay for their rent. Uh, so for a lot of veterans, this could be a housing voucher. Others will have um, access to other subsidies or financial support. Um, many of the veterans we work with are employed and will be able to pay their, um, their own rent. Um, so every veteran that we send to a landlord will, will have a financial plan. And we also want landlords to know that if there are issues, there's a whole system here in the state of Maine that is designed to keep veterans in housing. So we can provide case management for veterans until they're stable um, in housing. And then if there's a problem later on where a veteran falls behind on their rent or is at risk of eviction, the veteran or landlord can get in touch with the system and we can sort of reconnect and, and try to provide supports to uh, keep the veteran in housing and whether that's paying owed like past due rent or that's just uh, supporting them and getting connected to some services or, or working on some other issues that are, are causing problems with the tenancy. Any landlords that are interested in partnering with us, um, we'd love to have a further conversation uh, they can go to our webpage, which is nohomelessveterans.org, uh, where they'll learn more information about our challenge. And there's also a place where they can get in touch with us. And hopefully through these partnerships, we will be able to house all the veterans experiencing homelessness in Maine. Let me let me circle back to something you've touched upon, and that is you announced that that day we had the secretary or you uh, told us about this uh, challenge of 100 uh, housing, 100 homeless veterans between now and Veterans Day in November. Are you making progress? Is that working? Yeah, we are making some good progress. Uh, so it started just under three weeks ago. And really, this challenge is about collaboration and trying to do a lot of coordinated landlord. Um, we've had over 30 units where landlords have said we would like to rent to a veteran um, since the since the kickoff. Um, so we are connecting veterans to to a lot of those units. You know, it's it you know, I'm not it's it's likely not all 30 of those units will end up going to veterans. Some of them may be in places where veterans, you know, don't want to live or they're in a rural place and the veteran that wants to be in the area doesn't have a car. Um, so there are some barriers, but a lot of those units we hope to uh, connect with veterans. And then we're also hoping to hear from more landlords. Um, we're specifically looking for landlords in the Cumberland County and York area who are interested in working with working with veterans and, and um, you know, they'd have access to those bonuses and, and all the other benefits that come with uh, with leasing up veterans. But we have seen a lot of great 
uh, community outreach and our, the housing numbers of, of um, the number of veterans that we're housing um, has definitely increased over the last couple of weeks. So we're, we're really excited with the start that we've had. That's great. And I think it's important to emphasize that this isn't a case of veterans who don't want housing or are just, you know, waiting for a handout. These are these are people that for one reason or another, and you mentioned, you know, a bad turn of luck, a, a layoff or a car repair or something, just can't can't make the rent. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. And and uh, the fact that the number of homeless people in Maine has quadrupled since before the pandemic is that's uh, that, that's serious business. That and as I said, as you said, there's no single answer to this, but uh, I think it's got to be recognized that that there shouldn't be a stigma here. Absolutely. I mean, um, I don't know if people would be surprised to know, but you know, most over half of the veterans that we work with are um, over the age of fifty-five, and most of those are over the age of sixty-two. Um, so we have, you know, a lot of older veterans who, um, you know, it doesn't take a lot these days to fall behind on rent and then or have your landlord sell the building that you've been in for a long time. And then all of a sudden you need to find a new place to live and there just isn't an affordable place available. Um, these types of things, you know, are, are what we see every day. Um, so we are making great progress on um, getting towards that goal of trying to house 100 veterans in 100 days. And really, this is just a step in a larger goal um, that's been established here in the state of trying to functionally end veteran homelessness by uh, the end of June in 2025. Um, and what that means is just that we want to create a system where if a veteran becomes homeless, that we're able to connect them to and house them um, within 90 days, and that we're housing more veterans um, every month than are becoming homeless every month. And we well, really I, think I, that we can do that. Well, I, I remember the, the roundtable in Portland where the secretary started it off by saying there shouldn't even be the phrase homeless veterans. That, that sh we ought to banish that uh, along with, uh, with the homelessness. And then you've got these wonderful local groups like the group in Booth Bay, I'm sure you're familiar that build these little tiny uh, houses, trailers. I don't know what quite to call them, but they're uh, transition and they're they're really cool. I I saw one up up in uh, Lewiston not long ago, and so this is a coalition across the state. Yeah, absolutely. And we have veterans uh, frequently staying in those trailers um, these days. You know, another sad thing: there's just not enough shelter space. Uh, for folks. So you have veterans and people who would like shelters, but there's not enough beds for everyone. So things like the um, Booth Bay veterans that have those trailers are are really, you know, they're saving lives, you know, in the winter. Um, this is giving people a safe place to be. Um, and, and it really is making a difference. And it's groups like that who want to get involved. Um, something Ryan mentioned earlier about, you know, not having to convince people about the need to sort of support and help veterans is something that we find a lot in our work too. Um, and we also want to give, you know, Mainers who are interested in doing what they can to help end veteran homelessness um, can also go to our webpage, nohomelessveterans.org, um, to see what they can do um, to support the effort. And, you know, well, some of that may be just uh, talking to folks about what we're trying to do. Um, there's also a place for them to donate to the cause if they're interested. Um, but we, we really think it's going to take all Mainers coming together to, to get this goal accomplished. Well, you mentioned something that sort of 
calls to mind some connections here. You heard Ryan and I were talking about workforce, which is a huge problem in every walk of life in Maine. And also you mentioned shelter space. We've got this ridiculous federal law that asylum seekers can't work for six months or more while their paperwork is being processed. And we've got people who want to work. They have skills. We've got businesses that need them. And uh, yet they're they're uh, unable to generate an income. If they could go to work, they could uh, be off public assistance, be out of the shelter, and uh, there'd be room for for other people that uh, that we want to try to help. So it's it's a very frustrating thing. Senator Collins and I have a bill in to reduce the 180 day waiting period to 30 days, uh, so that uh, some of these folks who who we need in the workforce. Uh, can get started building a life here in Maine uh, instead of uh, having to rely on public assistance and have their families in shelters, which I'm, I'm sure they, they would rather not be there. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we that would be a tremendous to see. I do think, um, you know, the folks here seeking asylum are a real answer to uh, some of our, our workforce shortages and, and could make a big difference. Um, and we are, you know, we are no exception to the um, struggle in the, in the marketplace right now to find folks who are interested. So if there are people listening who are interested in a really meaningful career um, where you can get up every day and work on a very worthy goal, um, you know, all the programs that are working with veterans experiencing homelessness um, are, are looking for for people to do this work and you are welcome to go to any of our organizations web pages where you can information about um, how to join a team and and really get connected to a job where you're going to feel really great most days about what you're doing well dan it's 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 great what you what you all are doing uh preble street is the indispensable partner in all of these things and one one of the roles you play i believe and you can confirm this is a is as a kind of coordinator of all these various uh, resources that are out there and and uh, that's that's the that's the heart of this uh, process is as you said there's no single answer but if you can uh, build that uh, build people that are working all in the same direction uh, that's what can make a real difference. And Preble Street, I think, is an important role in that. Yeah, we really do believe that uh, working together and coordination and collaboration are the key um, to ending veteran homelessness here in Maine. We have a partnership with the VA. Um, I can't speak highly enough about all the work that the VA does to put together a system to support veterans experiencing homelessness. And then there's just a tremendous organization. Dan, I have to stop you there and, and say, isn't it great that you're so enthusiastic and positive about a federal government agency? I mean, that's really performing above and beyond. And, and I think I think people need to realize that there's this idea, you know, the government can't get anything right and it never does, you know, and, and what you're telling us is the VA is an essential partner and, and an effective one. Absolutely. And I, I also, part of my role here at Preble Street is working with uh, um, some programs that are connected to like just mainstream homelessness. So people experiencing homelessness that are not veterans. And I'm telling people all the time that like the VA really has built the most effective response 
assets that exist. Um, you know, they've not only built it, they've also done a great job providing the funding that it takes to actually serve people experiencing homelessness and that the, you know, the rest of the system could really learn a lot by uh, modeling our response after um, the, the system that's been created by the VA. Well, I hope Ryan Lilly is listening to this. <laughs> it's a pretty good uh, a pretty good unsolicited testimonial for the work that, that they're doing. Well, Dan, uh, thank you again. Thank for the works that Preble Street does. Give my regards to Mark Swan and, and the wonderful people down there. And uh, you're you're doing you're doing such important work and good luck on the on the uh, the challenge uh, between now and, and Veterans Day and and uh, I'm sure you're going to keep going. And I hope anyone listening to this broadcast who is a landlord or who's interested in getting engaged in this in this process on behalf of veterans or uh, in terms of housing generally, uh, Dan, give us the give us the website once more. Sure, uh, you can go to knowhomelessveterans.org uh, to learn more about how you can help. That's that's what we want to hear. Well, this is. This is inspiring work. It's great work that that you and Ryan are doing. And uh, as I said to Ryan, if there are ways that I can help by virtue of of my uh, membership now on the Veterans Affairs Committee, uh, let me know, uh, and we'll uh, we'll go to work. Uh, thanks to both Ryan Lilly and Dan Hodgkins for our joining us today, and thank you for joining us on Inside Maine. This is Angus King. See you next time. <laughs>